At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay, lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment, the earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment to save the humble of the earth. Those are verses 6 to 9 of Psalm 76, which along with seven, Psalm 75 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, June the 11th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Um, we are moving from Ecclesiasticus into the book of Numbers today, the chapter 3, 1 to 13. We're continuing in the um, Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 to 13, which is the Transfiguration. And then uh, Paul's letter to the Galatian church, chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. In the the Numbers passage, um, we're hearing about the origination of the priesthood and also the Levitical part of the priesthood as well. Those are two separate things. The the priesthood is in is the Aaron the line of Aaron, and then the Levites are those who assist in the in the um, ministrations at the temple. So it says these are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron their father. So remember, just after the uh, the tabernacle is consecrated, they, they come the next day after the first great day of worship. They These two, Nadab and Abihu, come and they bring unauthorized fire. Um, and, and it's interesting because if you, if you, like me, have grown up in sort of the evangelical uh, Christian world, the, what, you, what you have come to believe, and, and because it's mostly what you're almost always taught, is, is that what they did was they brought strange fire. And, and what it would, what, what's implied is they're trying to mix God's worship with some other kind of worship, as though they brought like fire from some other kind of altar, but that's not the case at all. That's not what happened. Um, that that is not what any Jewish person ever has believed, nor any rabbi has ever taught. That's just not the case. The, the, what they believe is it was an excess of zeal. They wanted to add something to the the fire on the altar because they wanted to bring their own offering more than in addition to what the Lord had commanded. And and that's exactly the way it's always taught. Nobody ever suggests what we in evangelicalism believe. Nobody in Judaism has ever suggested such a thing. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying it's a little bit odd that we always teach it that way, and they never do. So then Eliezer and Ithamar serve as priests in in the lifetime of Aaron their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. So in in the Anglican world, you have a priest. Well, you start a little higher than that because you'd start with an archbishop or a presiding bishop, depending on what they what terms they use. And then there would be a bishop, and then there would be a priest, and then there would be a deacon, and and those would be the official sort of titles for all those people. It's it it it's hierarchical. I mean, that's just the honest truth. There's there's a hierarchy 
implicit in that. And it's an unfortunate hierarchy because what it implies is these people are more important than other people, and that's not the case. It's a hierarchy within the leadership of the church, um, but it becomes something way more than that, and we all know it. But but that's kind of what you're looking at here. Aaron would be the priest, and essentially the Levites would be the deacons. And so the, the priests had specific jobs assigned to them, and they alone could do those things, and the Levites are, are given to Aaron to help him because there's so much work to do, so they're there to help. It says, they shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They're wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And so that priest, they become the priesthood after Eliezer and Ithamar. So that they were given as a tithe of the nation to God. And so they didn't have land of their own. They didn't own, they, they weren't apportioned the land. They were, they were given the, the, the tithe to them. So, and because they were set aside as essentially the firstborn to God. And so they were sacrificed in that way. They were sacrificed from otherwise productive um, jobs. And I don't mean to say that those are unproductive jobs. I were one at one time, not a Levitical priest, obviously, but, but, but you get the point. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons to be wholly given to them from among the people of Israel. In other words, the whole tribe, every single guy. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. In other words, it's a dangerous thing to serve at the altar, and that's what Nadab and Abihu found, that if you don't do it God's way, then you have a problem. Um, if you don't do it God's way, then, then you're actually adulterating. No matter what your intentions are, you're adulterating the worship of God. And that's not a good thing. He wants it done a specific way. And, and because he, he gave that way, then we need to follow it verbatim is what, he, what the point was. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I've taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Now, when we read that, we read it in a different way than they read it probably, because what he's saying is, is that perpetually these Levites are to be given to him as, as essentially a sacrifice of the firstborn of all the tribes. And when he says, on the day that I struck down the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. And what, he, what that means is not just that generation. Because, as I mentioned a couple of days ago, the way that they understand, for instance, with the killing of, of uh, Abel, was is that that made Cain not just a murderer and not just a fratricide, but a mass murderer. Because he killed all the potential line that would have come from Abel. And that's exactly the way that we should read this. I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel for all time. And, and, and that, then, it is represented by the tribe of Levi. So in the way that, that all of the tribe of Levi is intended for one purpose, and that's to serve at the temple. And so they're a, they're a sacrifice of the people to the Lord, and they always belong to him throughout all time. 
And so that's what that's the way in which you should read that in the way that he consecrated the people and he consecrated them forever and all time to serve in that capacity. Now there is no Levitical priesthood anymore. Jesus superseded all that. We see all that in in the book of Hebrews where we were just recently. And it's funny I before I did this I told Suzanne it feels like sometimes that I that I comment on the transfiguration like every week. It feels like that that I'm constantly running into the transfiguration in gospel lessons. And so today, and it's odd because it's very rarely mentioned outside the gospel. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. Now, when we see the transfiguration, we should see it in line with the the baptism of Jesus, when the voice comes from heaven and declares that he's well-pleased in him. Here, this is the final word from the Lord, word from heaven, and it's given to only these three disciples who were there, and I believe it's for a very particular reason. And so I'll talk about that a little bit as we go along, but but you've heard me probably comment on this before, so I'm sorry if, if you're getting bored with me talking about transfiguration. I, it just shows up in the lectionary. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And I've talked about this before, too, that, that one of the things that, that the Jews will teach about Adam and Eve, the difference and the distinction between when they were naked and unashamed before sin entered the world, and then naked and ashamed afterwards. And so the the belief is is that they, they were naked before, but they were clothed in light, that, that light was there, the Shekinah glory of God, in order to authenticate them as God's representatives on earth. But once they sinned, they could no longer be that. They could no longer be that in the same way, nor can we, because of sin. Jesus here, it's the opposite of that. So his clothes actually were hiding the Shekinah glory, and now he and his clothes are transfigured as that light shines forth from him who is without sin. So it's coming from him, not on him, in the way that it would have been with Adam and Eve. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And I have no earthly idea how they knew that, probably from the conversation. I'm sure it wasn't because they had pictures on the wall. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And so Peter... He doesn't know. And and then it exposes, I believe, that reaction exposes the problem. And the problem is Jesus has just asked, remember, that who do you believe I am? And, and Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And other people had said, like Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, something like that. So here, I think what's being exposed is, is, is that they still aren't 100% sure where Jesus fits. And so Moses and Elijah are there. Peter says, let's make three tents. It's good we're here. Let's make three tents, and let's all have a big party here. Uh, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud, the kind of glory, the same cloud that would have followed them in the wilderness, uh, overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And remember that Moses had had prophesied that there would be a prophet like him who was raised up in latter days, and they were to listen to him in the same way they listened to Moses. And so the, Elijah represents the prophets, and so Moses said that as a prophet. Eli, Elijah represents the prophets. He's the, the prophet par excellence, really, in, in Judaism, even today. And so 
listen to him, Jesus, and the other two are gone. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So it's clear Jesus is the Son of God, and they are to listen to him. They've had a hard time listening to him when he says certain kinds of things. And so now they've been commanded from heaven to listen to him. And to believe him. When he talks about his death and resurrection, for instance, that's the hard stuff for them. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And this this language of Son of Man, he asked them, who do men say the Son of Man is? That was his question. And then then the follow-on was, who do you say I am? So clearly they knew from the beginning that the Son of Man that he was talking about was Jesus himself. And here... It's clear that that's who he's talking about. He's the Son of Man, but he's just been declared to be the Son of God. Well, in his incarnation, he's always referred to as the Son of Man. It's after the resurrection that that he's referred to as the Son of God. The first person to refer to him as the Son of God would actually be the Roman centurion who proclaimed it at his death. So the disciples asked, then... So if it, he says, tell no one the vision till the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Well, there's a reason they say that, because it's in Malachi <laughs> that he's going to come and prepare the people. And so they, they want to know, if, if, if Elijah's supposed to come, why hadn't he? And he says, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Which would sound like that it was Herod who would be responsible for this, and that's not the truth. But, but John the Baptist was, was a thorn in the flesh for the same people who will reject Jesus ultimately. The, they would have been perfectly happy for John the Baptist to die because he spoke against them, the leaders of the Jews at the time did. So he says, um, then the disciples understood he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. So it, it was clear that, that that's who he meant. And so the spirit of Elijah was in John the Baptist. And, and when I say that, I mean, it's the same spirit that was in Elijah was in John the Baptist. In the Galatians passage, Paul's now getting to the end of the letter, and, and he wants them to know, I'm writing this part myself. Because he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand, which would again kind of point back to Paul's vision problems because he's writing in these large letters as opposed to the, the letters of the, the way that it was written before by the amanuensis, because he would have been dictating this to somebody who would have written it down. And so now what you're seeing is Paul saying, see, I, I'm writing this part myself. You're going to know it's from me. He says, it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, that, that if, you, if you teach what I teach— you're going to be persecuted by the Jews because you're, you're saying that it's Jesus alone and not the law and not circumcision and all that stuff. He says, if you do that, if you preach it that way, then you're going to be persecuted. They're trying to avoid that. And so they want you to accept these things. And remember why Paul ultimately is, is arrested as he's accused of bringing uncircumcised people before the altar at the temple. Well, because the church in Jerusalem asked him to take these people there. And he didn't bring uncircumcised people there, but that's what he's accused of. And, and that's the way they kind of get at him. He's broken the rules and the law of the temple. And so here, Paul's saying, is they want to avoid persecution. And it's so true in our day. There's certain truths 
that that I believe that I'm that if I were in certain denominations and I said these things, basically I'd be drummed out of the denomination. It's the reason I was told when I first wanted to be uh, ordained in the Episcopal world that there's no chance in the world that the bishop here would would allow you to be ordained because you believe well Bible. You believe that stuff's the inspired Word of God. You believe Jesus is the only way. You believe that Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. And those things proved later by the bishop. Um, he didn't believe those things. He, he talked around them, but he never made direct statements. Then I had another friend who followed after me uh, who did go through the process, but only through the very first step of the process, which was the bishop named the person who would be head of his committee and then he went and had lunch with to have lunch with that person. She asked him one question about homosexuality. He answered it in a way that offended her, and she didn't even go to lunch with him. And that ended his whole process until he went to South Carolina and was able to go through the process there. But there's certain things that if you say these things, if you believe these things, if you say these things are wrong, well, you're going to be persecuted and drummed out of the church. You will not be taken into any opportunity to be a leader in the church. So I know what he's talking about. He says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That way they'll avoid the criticism. They'll, they'll avoid the truth is the problem. They're avoiding the truth in order to avoid criticism. They're, they're, they're compromised on truth. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not boasting in your flesh and you being circumcised. No, I boast only in the cross of Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither, un- neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's all that matters. Are you a new creation? And as for all those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He isn't praying for everybody. <laughs> He's only praying for those people who, who are standing in the truth and not compromising. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Is he talking about the stigmata? So, I mean, St. Francis of Assisi was uh, believed to have the stigmata, and the stigmata would be the wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. Is Paul saying that, or is he saying something different? I'm, I'm not sure exactly what his reference is here. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So Paul wants them to know at the end of this, I'm the one writing this, I'm the one who dictated this whole thing, and I'm proving it by writing this last part in my own name, and I'm recapitulating everything that I said to you. And that is, don't hang out with and believe those people who say you have to be circumcised to be brought into the kingdom of God, because that's not true. It's only through the blood of Christ that was shed and his sacrifice on the cross. No other way. You don't add anything to that. You don't take anything away from it. And, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. And it's true. And, th- and that's the thing that, that I think many, many Christians need to understand. They need to fall deeply in love with Jesus. They need to hear the word of God from the Mount of Transfiguration that says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, don't listen to every other voice out there. Now, Paul speaks for Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. He's authenticating himself a- as an apostle and one who speaks for Jesus. So if somebody ever says to you, well, Jesus didn't say anything about these things, but Paul did, Paul says, no, 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 Uh -uh. nope, my apostleship comes directly from him. I'm speaking for him. I know it. And, And Paul, remember, is teaching Gentiles who don't have the moral teaching of the Old Testament. Jesus 
almost exclusively and always exclusively when he's teaching, always, always, always is speaking to Jews who have the law. He's never saying, don't worry about this law, that law, any of that stuff. No, in fact, as I've shown you before in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raises the bar on every single sin that he ever mentions. Never does he lower the bar. Always increases the bar. But he's speaking to Jews. They have the moral teaching and the moral law of the Old Testament. Paul, mostly speaking to Gentiles. And so he has to talk about things that Jesus doesn't have to talk about because they don't have that instruction. And the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem in Acts 15 says, let's put limits around what we're going to expect of these Gentile converts. And they're not expecting them to have all the law. And the the big reason is they don't think this is going to be all that long. They think this is going to be in this generation. Jesus is going to come back. And so there's no reason to burden you with all that. No, no, we're going to hold off on that. But this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He stands above all else and everyone else. And we need to put him on that pedestal and make sure that we never, ever allow anybody to remove him.